Hi, everybody. This is Dr. Eric Corum, founder of AIM7. Welcome back to The Blueprint, where we distill cutting-edge science, leadership, and life skills into simple tactics optimized for your busy lifestyle and goals. I'm thrilled to have mental toughness expert, speaker, author, and now associate director of veteran engagement for Team Red, White, and Blue, Andy Reese, join us again. Andy's a good friend, and I'm pumped to have him back. Each time he's been on, it's been an amazing experience, and he is full of valuable insight. In this episode, Andy shares the fascinating world of mental sensitivity, revealing how we can harness this hidden power within ourselves to excel despite any obstacle. He also takes us on a deep dive into our own personal barometer, providing us with tools to self-regulate, push ourselves out of our comfort zone, and improve our understanding of our own emotions for optimal performance, and really improve our mental toughness. But before we dive in, AIM7 is here. The revolutionary app AIM7 turns your wearable data into actionable recommendations to improve your mental and physical fitness. No more wasted time trying to figure out what your wearable data means. With AIM7, we tell you exactly what you need to do each day for your mind, body, and recovery so you can look, feel, and perform your best. What we're building here is not just an app to download, but a movement to join. We are building a community of folks that want to take their mental and physical health to a new level, but they don't have two hours a day to go train and eat quinoa with their bros. So if this sounds like something you're interested in, sign up for AIM7. The link is in the show notes and you can get access to our beta app for Zoom calls with me and my team to discuss habit building, adaptive capacity, and so much more. Now for my conversation with Andy. So let's lean in and learn from the best. Andy, it is great to have you back today. I'm excited to talk about something that I have no clue about. And you've said before that mental sensitivity can be a superpower. Like, What is that? Yeah, first of all, thanks for having me back on. Eric, big blueprint energy. That's the thing for today. <laughs> thrice, thrice time offender. I'm so excited to be back with you. Hello to everybody out there again. So let's break this down. Let's talk about what mental toughness is and let's talk about what it is. And then we'll get into what mental sensitivity is. So every coach across the world, if you played sports, they talk about the importance of mental toughness, right? Mm-hmm. So let's get into what mental toughness is. So mental toughness is the ability and willingness to execute tasks at the upper range of your potential, regardless of outcomes. Okay. That's a bunch of psycho babble. So let's get a practical street definition. Mental toughness is getting the most out of what you have to be at your best when it matters the most. That's what it is. And that actually matches the scientific definition that comes from Dr. Jim Lair and all the seminal authors that get into mental toughness, which actually is a thing. And so there are actually four C's of mental toughness. Um, and it's a model that we'll show here as well and put in the show notes. So the four C's of mental toughness are confidence, control, commitment, and challenge. And there's two sub factors for each of those. There's actually a valid and reliable psychometric tool that I use in my athletes, business leaders, people in healthcare. Um, And so those four C's are really the four elements that make up your mental toughness profile. Everybody has that. It's a little bit different. Now it's measured when it comes out with a, on a Sten scale, like it's like a Likert scale on scale of one to 10. So if Eric, if you were to take the mental toughness questionnaire plus, which I think we should do, because I think it'd be fun. Yeah. We figure out how to incorporate that into, uh, you know, your, your business and your ventures you know, is so when you take that, if you go to aim seven, you go take the MTQ plus hint, hint. So then you're going to be able to get this profile. Right. And so on one side, you're going to get, for example, control. You may be a one to 10. So on the one side, you may be really mentally sensitive. OK, in one area. And on on the 10 side, if you're scored a 10 out of 10, you may be really mentally tough. Now, 
for the lay people that are out there, you're going to say, okay, well, if I want to scale one to 10, what side do I want to be on? If I'm assessing my own mental toughness, they're going to be like, I want to be a 10 out of 10. Of course. Move things to the right. Cause that's how we roll. We all want to move the needle to the right Time out. We're not going to do it because everyone is looks like an equalizer, right? Everyone's profile needs to look a little bit different, right? So if you're on a one and you'd be mentally sensitive, for example, like if in terms of emotional control, if you're super, super sensitive, like people who are empaths and, you know, um, like you could even say mediums, they're mm-hmm. going to fall in this category, really sensitive to what other people think and feel. They pick up that energy, positive, negative, or otherwise, they're going to be on that one side. And if you're on a one, and maybe even indicators of some psychopathology a little bit, you're a 10, you may be really, really, really controlling. And if you're a leader, for example, and you're really controlling, that may mean you're a micromanager. Right. It means that you are a, a task giver and you're going to tell people what to do and how to do. And you really have a hard time maybe with trust and some of those other issues related to that, too. The reality is we all want to be somewhere, you know, towards the middle. Right. And that's somewhere between between the six and the eight scales where the sweet spot where we want to be. But again, we all want to have a baseline in terms of where we're at. And if you're a little mentally sensitive in some areas, you know what you need to work on to be able to move things to the right a little bit. And the way that you do that is through mental skills training, which I know we've talked about. The other thing I want to caveat on is that, you know, resilience is built into this. Mental toughness is a combination of playing psychological defense, which is resilience, and mental performance with psychological offense. You bring those together, you get a really good championship combination. Hmm. So... When you say being mentally sensitive can be a superpower, Mm -hmm. is that mean because you're balancing out, like if everybody was a 10 out of 10 on everything, it would be a, the world would be one massive conflict. It sounds like to me. It it would be, you know, and I think, and and again, it's kind of about balance a little Mm -hmm. bit as well too. So for example, you know, I'm, I'm probably a little bit lower on the emotional control side of that cyborg. And I, when I was a younger athlete, I was a little lower on the confidence scale, right? Mm. So if you look at confidence, confidence has two factors. One is confidence, your abilities, and it has interpersonal confidence. So it includes things like self-efficacy or belief in yourself. And the other piece is, okay, how do I build confidence in others and have that trust and trustworthiness as a teammate, right? So if I'm low on confidence, specifically on interpersonal confidence, I may have some trust issues, right? And so why is that? So that, you know, why is it that I'm not willing to be able to give this loan of trust that is codified through communication between one and more people, right? So if I understand where I'm at, I have self-awareness, and then that allows me to then be able to regulate and better influence others. So really what it's all about, it's not necessarily even about being mentally sensitive or being mentally tough because we all fall. None of us Mm. are 10 out of 10 or one out of one in terms of uh, profile compared against, you know, a whole bunch of different populations in North America, for example. With the idea is we want to be a better thermostat, Eric, right? And so my sensitivity may be a superpower if I have, I'm really emotionally intelligent and I have a lot of empathy and compassion for others, right? But there's a shadow side of that that I have to be aware of others. So again, the first step of being a better thermostat is the thermometer, which is self-awareness. And, and you also have to be aware of outside of myself, which is my environment and other people and how they affect me. So it's inside out and outside in, in terms of my ability to be able to read myself my internal temperature and the temperature outside of myself. The second piece of that then is now my ability to self-regulate, right? Mm-hmm. And then I regulate myself through my attitudes and my behaviors, the A and B button on the thermostat. And then that allows me to then understand within my span of control, how I can influence others in my environment and vice versa. It makes total sense. Um, we need this balance. If we want to communicate with 
people that are different than us. We need a balance so that we know where we're at. We can be self-aware. Uh, there's nothing worse than always being on tilt. You know what I'm saying? Or just kind of being on the edge on one side and having that self-awareness. I think that's what drives people over the edge when it comes to stress. A lot of times they have no self-awareness of where they're at. And then before they know it, they're sick, they're miserable, they're upset and they're grumpy and their spouse or friends like, man, you, you really need an adjustment where if you have that internal thermometer that it's really helpful. Do you think our society has lost this thermometer? I think in some uh, some extent, yeah. I think it's it's there's some extremes. I think it's in poles. Mm-hmm. I think in some instances, like I look, I work with a lot of youth athletes now because I think you know one of my missions is to democratize mental skills training and get it in the hands of the people who need it the most, like kids, parents, and coaches. And then one of the things I'm noticing, for example, is we have a confidence crisis in our country, right? And mm-hmm. so I think one of the reasons why that is, and this is you know, it's not a, everyone gets a trophy type of thing too. It's hey, we haven't developed the coping skills or in in allowed our kids to then be able to make mistakes and learn and experiment and fail. We protect them. We want to make things easier for the next generation. And, and in some ways we do them a disservice. So if I'm working with a really talented athlete in minor league baseball, for example, and they've never really experienced failure because their talent, the raw skills have allowed them to be heads and tails above everyone else. And then they experience failure for the first time, the competition and the level, uh, the speed of the game increases, the level of competition increases. Now all of a sudden they're failing and they're failing consistently over time too. And then, it starts a spiral effect instead of being one time, one thing where I'm striking out now it becomes an all the time, everything where I have an indictment on my character. Uh, it means that I'm a failure. It's less about behaviors. It's more about attributes and characteristics. It becomes more personal and pervasive. And so I think in some instances, like, you know, protecting, you know, our, our youth athletes and protecting ourselves from uh, making mistakes and stretching ourselves on the challenge orientation, that's preventing us from being able to really, truly grow, get better. I think, but also, I think the microscope from a social perspective is a lot higher as well, too. Again, going back to the youth athletes, you know, you know, we 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 didn't constantly get the feedback from our peers that we had. We got together with our friends and, you know, we maybe were getting feedback in person. But, you know, that 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 external pressure and that lens and that feedback is 24, 7, 365 through our phones. I don't think it's the phone's fault. You can say what you want about social media, right? But again, you know, that constant stimulus and energy from outside of yourself, socially, environmentally, you know, is having a negative impact on, you know, our not only our awareness, but our ability to be able to regulate ourselves. And you're seeing it show up in terms of the mental health piece and the, the higher demand for services and the lower demand for providers. So with your own kids, you got children. How do you deliberately expose them to failure or maybe you're not deliberately doing it, but when it happens, how do you reframe that for them? Yeah. And I think that you just nailed exactly what it is. And uh, I, I just give a great example. Uh, so my son is 17 years old and uh, you know, we have a relatively new, new car and we got it with the intention of it kind of being our kids' cars. So I've got multiple teenagers that are coming after him. who are going to be driving. And so, you know, he went out and we gave him trust and he earned his license albeit a year year later because he wasn't ready to drive. And I coached him and provided him with all the knowledge and skills and experience. And eventually, you know, if you've ever taught somebody how to drive, you know, there's a lot of trust that goes into that because there's only so much you could do before someone has experience on their own. And as a parent, you know, your kids get older, you're really releasing control to, you know, and it's scary because so many accidents and deaths happen on the American highway, right? And so 
you know, again, we gave him a simple task. Hey, you're going to take the car to school. When you're done with school, you're going to go downtown to Conroe and you're going to go see your orthodontist. And then when you're done, you're going to drive home. Seems simple, right? Well, lo and behold, we got a little bit of, you know, his, his appointments at four o'clock. He gets out at five. It's a little bit of rush hour traffic. It's more than what he's used to. He comes into an intersection and he gets in an accident, right? And it's no harm, no foul. Um, and so when he gets home, you know, it, it was, you know, he was very, very nervous, right? Having that confrontation, and we've probably all been there. You know, I know I was there. I got in my first accident. I had to tell my parents, and you're just like, oh, crap, what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. And in his mind, he had built up this, like, hey, that I'm, I'm going to get completely smashed by my mom and my dad, right? That I completely failed, and I'm a failure, and I'm never going to get a chance to drive again and take the car away. You know, and again, the, what's the first reaction when you go out and you your son walks in is, first of all, are you okay? Yes. That's the big thing is he's safe. Then once you're safe, you go out and you look at the car and it's all smashed up and you're like, you're like, F. You know, and then again, the, 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 the stress level accelerates, right? Because now he's seeing what you're seeing and is now his worst nightmares are coming true. And then it's just a matter of like, okay, you know, all right, me stepping back from the situation and taking a look at it and like realizing, okay, I've been here before. The most important thing is he's safe. It's a car. It can get fixed. So on and so forth. Right. So then it became, you know, I, I believe in this idea that everybody talks about failure and failing forward and faster, right? And it, they also talk about mistakes. But I think really the only way that you can really guarantee that you're going you're gonna to win or you're going to learn, you never lose, to use that Nelson Mandela quote, which is the ultimate neutral thinking, is that to experiment. And that's to be deliberate and intentional about how you go about doing your business. Regardless of what the outcome is, if we can treat everything like an experimentation where there's a hypothesis, we go test it, we, get, we iterate, we get feedback. You know, that is the way that we really learn. And so I just turned it into an experiment and said, okay, so we experimented. We had a hypothesis that you could go do this on your own. Things happen, variables beyond your control. You got in an accident. You know, what did you learn? Like, you know, you're okay. That's the most important thing. What did you learn from the situation? And we just really broke it down, you know, and it wasn't like a formal after action review. It just was like, hey, what could I have done better? You know, what could I have, what I have improved? You know, and it turns out there was, he was at fault and there's a lot of things he could do to improve. You know, but if we didn't take that moment to actually capture those lessons learned and then feed them forward, and that's a lot of mistake things people do as well, too, is they think about feedback, which is they're looking at the attitudes and behaviors of the past, which we can't control. And we forget to take those lessons learned and feed them forward, which is now coming up with a plan of action in terms of next time I'm going to do this. And it turns out there were some things that even I could do as a parent to set him up for success. Right. You know, uh, I never even thought about including like a checklist you know, to maybe put in the glove compartment that allows him to then be able to like, okay, I'm, I'm panicked. I've never done this before. What are the three to five steps that I need to do to make sure that, Hey, I get my insurance. We get the phone numbers. I call my parents. Do I need to call the police or not? These are all the action steps that we had went over, but I didn't codify them for him to make them easier for him to be able to do that in the moment. So it just turned into a learning lesson for all of us. And I think that's a great example of Okay, you know, uh, now if there had been a catastrophic, you know, injury as a result of this, now that's maybe a little bit different story. But if we can treat everything as an experiment the best we can, we're going to increase the likelihood that we're going to learn and we're going to win. This is phenomenal. Um, I, I have like five different points I've written down here uh, for my own. I'm thinking about my kids right now. Andy, since the last time we talked, you've kind of had a career change. You want to talk about what's happened with you and what you're up to now? Yeah, thanks, Eric. I appreciate that, too. You know, I mean, like a lot of veterans that are out there, you're, you don't know what you don't know. And I pivoted a lot in the last couple of years and uh, trying to figure out what's the right fit and uh, what's my purpose. Right. And how could I make a profit of it as well, too? And so 
really found a great organization team, Red, White, and Blue, that I'm uh, now full-time with. I'm the Associate Director of Veteran Engagement. And if you're not familiar with Team Red, White, and Blue, we are a veteran service organization. So we're a nonprofit. And we believe that, you know, like our America's veterans, are, our best days are ahead of us. We're not these broken action figures that are ridden with PTSD and, you know, mm-hmm. need, need your help to lift us up. What we need is we need a tribe. We need a group community to bring people together to help forge our health and wellness journey. And that's what Team Red, White, and Blue does um, I'm really proud to be a part of this organization uh, and to really stay in the health and wellness business to help with mental fitness, um, to, to help veterans come together and become the best version of themselves. And that's that's what we do. That is awesome. If people listen to this, we're like, man, this guy's a gifted speaker. Uh, how can they get a hold of you if they want to have you like come speak to their organization or they want some coaching? Yeah, absolutely. So my company's designed to perform. Uh, I'm still running that as well, too. A mental performance coach who's speaking. I do workshops. So, you know, please reach out to me at Andy at design to perform.org. I would love to hear from you. You can also follow me on LinkedIn uh, and on Instagram. That's where my Kung Fu is the strongest. And you can also reach out to me at uh, Andy.Reese at team RWB.org. All that information will be in the show notes to provide for you. Please reach out to us. If you want to get involved with team RWB, you want me to come out to speak to your team organization. Thank you so much, Andy. This was great. I really appreciate you. Thanks, brother. Looking forward to the next time. Going for going for the record. 10. <laughs> Thanks again for listening to the Blueprint Podcast. And if you learned something new today, please consider sharing this podcast with a friend and also smash that subscribe button on whichever listening platform you are joining us from. That way you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening. And I'll catch you on the next episode.